This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, I'm Ashley Lemieux, and I'm here to help you uncover the greatest power in your life. You. After going on my own healing journey, I realized I was looking for the wrong thing, a way out. But I didn't need a way out. What I really needed was a way in to fully uncover who I am. Each week I'll be sharing tangible tools and inspiring interviews to help you create a clear pathway forward in areas of your life that you might feel stuck or overwhelmed in. I'm not here to be the expert on your life. You are. What I want is to help you believe that. So get ready to reframe your thoughts, reimagine your future, and reclaim your power. Are you ready? I am. Welcome back to another episode of the I Am Podcast. You guys, I'm really excited about today because I feel like one of the biggest questions that I get asked is how do I make friends as an adult, as, as an adult who, who is just busy in life and either taking care of kids and working or working at an office that maybe you're surrounded by, you know, other males all the time, or maybe you're an entrepreneur at home and you're just by yourself. How do I build a community of people that we can support each other and also have fun with? And so we're going to talk about that today. And, and before I introduce our guest, I will tell you that having friends for me is something that I've always struggled with. And, and here's, here's what it is for me. In high school, all of my friends were guys. I hung out with guys all the time. For some reason, those were just my people. And then my sister, who's been my best friend forever. Well, but then you get married. I got married. And the guy friends, those relationships have to change because now I'm married. And I've been through so many different phases in my life that I've had friends for a season because of either we had kids that were in school together or we were launching businesses at the same time or whatever, but it was only for a season. And so today I'm really excited to talk with Natalie Frank about how we build community. Natalie actually just released a book that I'm so excited to have her tell you guys about, but it's called Built to Belong. And Natalie is amazing because she has gone through so many different things in her life, but that gives her a really unique perspective, I think, on community, but she's an entrepreneur She's a marketer, she's a community builder, and a neuroscience nerd, which I love so much. Um, and she's the head of community at HoneyBook, and she leads tens of thousands of creatives and small business owners while fostering a spirit of community over competition around the world. Natalie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you, and I know that right now you're in the middle of book launch week which we were just talking about is a feat in and of itself. So the fact that you are even showing up 
this morning to talk with us is a miracle. So I'm just so excited to to hear from you. And I think I want to start here. I, I want to start with you kind of giving us the background of why is community so important to you? Community is so important to me. And I think for all of us, because we aren't built to do life alone. We aren't created or wired, no matter what lens you want to put on it, to do this life alone. We are individuals that are a part of a collective masterpiece. We are meant to be interdependent on other people. Um, and actually that enhances our independence, like having these networks of support where we are encouraged, we are empowered, we um, you know, are able to receive feedback, our, our ideas are built upon by others. Like all of this is, is a part of a, a fabric that enables us to be our best selves. And so for, for me, that's, that's how I stepped into my understanding of community. I came at it from the lens of being an entrepreneur and a small business owner that saw the power in small business owners coming together. And then for those who've read my book, you, you know, that in building community, I thought I had it all figured out until I went through some really difficult seasons in my personal life where I then became the recipient. I then became the one that needed community in a different way, not to, th to thrive and to flourish, but to survive and to sustain. I needed community to carry me through brain surgery. I needed community to carry me through years and years of a walk with infertility um, and to carry me again, through motherhood, like multiple different seasons of life to experience being on the receiving end of, of community and relationships and friendships. I just, I look back at so many earlier versions of, of the person that I was, and I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back and tell her, you know, that you can let your walls come down. You can do life with other people. You can, you know, truly surrender this belief that you have to be the best and strive for more always to earn the love and respect of others. When instead, like there's so much beauty in stepping through the door with your mess, with your baggage as the person that you are, because that right there is where the, the strongest relationships are formed and where community can come in and actually support us in the ways that we need to be supported, encourage us in the ways that are going to lead to more success, you name it. This, this thought that I carried for so long that instead of being honest and being me, um, I, I had, I had to be somebody else in order to be loved or somebody else in order to be welcomed in those spaces, somebody else in order to find community. And so we are built for belonging. That's why I fight for it. We are created for community. That's why I build it. And, um, it's really what led me on my journey professionally, but also given me this desire to write the book. There's a couple of things that you just mentioned that I think are really important about what can prohibit community. And the first thing that you just were talking about is our internal belief that we have to earn the love and approval of someone else, which when you're going into a relationship or a new relationship, you're meeting a potential new friend for the first time and you feel like you have to keep proving yourself to earn their approval. I mean, right away, we're already so stressed out about this new relationship that it makes it really hard to create those vulnerable, real connections. And then the other thing is that you said that, you know, sometimes we feel like we have to be the best. I have to prove myself so I can be the best. I also feel like specifically with women, and you can tell me if, your feelings on this too. But 
I feel like in our culture, there's a, a huge scarcity mindset that creates a lot of competition, specifically among women, that there's only so many seats at the table in the workforce for women. There's only, only so many voices of women that are allowed to be heard. And so then it just creates this mentality of, okay, well, I want this relationship, but I need to be the best. I need to be the best in it. Or I'm nervous to have uh, more female relationships and community because what if they blindside me? Or what if they pull me down? Or what if they get in the way of my pursuit forward? And to be honest, one of the reasons, and I'll give a very quick example one of the reasons I had so many guy friends in high school is because I felt safer there. And, and I hate that that was my mindset, but one of my very best friends, I was so excited to run for student council my freshman year of high school. When you're like entering into the high school world, I was running for spirit director. I was so excited about it. One of my very best friends at the last minute, uh, decided that she was going to run against me and and then got our whole friend group on her side by saying things about me that were not true. And it created, I think that was one of the first times where I was like, oh, people are going to say bad things about me or treat me bad to you to, to try to get ahead of me. And it created this different type of view that I had on relationships. So is that something that you've ever experienced or that you see as you've, as, because I know you pour so much time into building community and I see you're shaking your head. Yes. So if yes, what are some new mindsets or some practices or things that we can do to help get rid of that lie that everything always has to be a competition? Oh, this is, this is the core crux of what this book is about. What you just described oh, is it. what this book <laughs> is about, because I think every single person listening to this can relate to a moment where they put trust in another person and experience something, whether that was, you know, people turning others against them, saying things that weren't true, gossiping about them in a room full of people, hurting them in um, a moment of rejection, you name it, relationships are really messy. And I think we have to remember that our world, our world and our, our, our culture of competition is playing a significant role in why these situations unfold. I, I, I experienced it both. Yes. Growing up, having moments like the one that you just mentioned, I truly, why community over competition as a phrase, as a hashtag, as a movement even started was because in the small business space, I was watching business owners do things that were so unethical, writing negative reviews about competitors to bring their ranking down or spreading false gossip about the new small business owner in town in order to hurt their reputation or, you know, talking poorly about somebody to clients or other vendors or you name it. I started to witness something that for me was the antithesis of how we are called to live with one another. It was the opposite of what I believed would lead to collective success. Um, because again, 
we've been told that there's only so much room at the top. We've been told there's only so many seats at the table, but what we're not told are that you can, you can go out and build bigger tables. You can go create new markets. You can, you can design a career that didn't exist yesterday. A lot of the work that we do that you and I even do was not even possible 10 years ago. So we've been sold this false bill of goods. We've been told there's not enough room. There's not enough space. You know, only one person's going to get, you know, we focus on the gold medal and not on the fact that new metals are being created every day. Like there are, there is an unlimited supply of gold medals and a limited number, an unlimited and infinite number of niche opportunities and categories. And we've also been told this is what success is supposed to look like. When one of the biggest lessons I've learned, and I talk about this in the book is I chased after that. I chased after that. I checked every single box. Like I went to the best school I could possibly get into. I built the six figure plus business. I, you know, I I did the things and it wasn't my definition of success, but I had been sold this false bill of goods that I had to be the best rather than my best that I had to go out and achieve and strive in order to make a life that had impact. And I uncovered along the way that all of these narratives that we've been fed They lead us oftentimes into a a false sense of community, into a false sense of how things, how things, how things are and how they should be. And they create these unnecessary, unnecessary us versus them moments. The, well, if Ashley's going to run, then, you know, then I, well, I'm going to run too. And it's not enough for like celebrating both of us in the pursuit of running. And then whoever wins fairly, we celebrate and we move forward. I have to manipulate. I have to try to, you know, create a, create a narrative that, that maybe doesn't exist or amplify someone's insecurities in order to make myself feel better or look better, whatever it is. I, I don't believe, I fiercely don't believe that that's the way that it should be. And so, Part of what we need to do, part of what we we must do, we are required to do, is to begin to address those mindsets that are pitting us against one another, address those competitions that frankly shouldn't exist. In the book, I talk about the fact that competition isn't inherently a bad thing, that actually competition serves a purpose. There is a a biological reason that we are wired to compete. Um, It's meant to keep us alive. It's meant to literally create a little bit of momentum within us to to help us strive to achieve just enough, just enough to, to thrive as an individual and as a species. But what has happened is that now competition has moved beyond the arenas where it was meant to exist. It feels like everything has become a competition. Everything. I mean, you name it and it's a competition, professional life, milestones and timelines, you know, well, this person did this by age X or, you know, I, I talk a lot about in, in my own journey, you know, I, I married my high school sweetheart. We got married at 22 and the number of friends that got married with us as we waited years and years and years and years with my brain tumor to, to go through surgery so that I could even try with fertility treatment. It felt like motherhood was a competition. Like it was this race that I was losing, that I was falling behind. You know, how unfair is that? How wrong is that? That, that again, we're told this is what success should look like. 2.5 kids by this age in this house with a family that looks like this on a journey that, oh, it just happened for you so easily. And no one, no one's journey really ends up like that. No one's, no one's, but we're fed these lies. We're fed these highlight reels. We're told this is what success looks like. And then we're also told, you know, amidst all of that, you've got to be everything. 
you've got to be, you know, the successful insert what you do for a living here and the best at this and be incredibly healthy and fit and not have any health health issues like, oh, don't don't, you know, and come on, come on. So we've got to reroute that narrative. We've got to change that narrative. We've got to stop measuring our own success and worth as I put these in quotes, you know, against other people and start looking at what is your definition of success in this season, removing the world's constraints from that. How can you identify areas where perhaps these competitions subconsciously or consciously exist for you? You know, if you've, if you've, if you've adopted this mindset and you're saying, oh, well, I'm measuring against this person. I look at her and what she's doing, I feel like I should be doing her. Where she is in life, I feel like I should be in life. How do we tear that down? All right, we talk about that in the book um, in, in much more detail, but. I think it starts by acknowledging that this is this is how it, it we've been trained we've been put into these scenarios from the time we're very young and changing our mindsets around that moving forward into a collective space where where not only do we see that we are uniquely uniquely headed on a path of success that is ours and ours alone but in understanding that also creates space to cheer for other people on their paths to honor the 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 earnest beauty and mess that comes with each of these journeys that we're all walking on, right? That it's not just the highlight reels that we're seeing, that we are complex and dynamic human beings that are all going through different things. Even the ones that you're measuring up against friends, the ones you're saying, put it on her pedestal and saying, if I just had it like she had it, if I just had that thing she has, if my timeline was just like hers, if I had X and we're looking at other people, we stop looking at ourselves. We stop looking at what's right in front of us, the blessings we do have, the gratitude we can be feeling. And we're so focused. We're so focused on her and not in a way that cheers her on, not in a way that champions her success, not in a way that builds her up, but in a way that only poisons our own hearts. Right? Yeah. So it's about identifying it. It's about starting to shift those mindsets. This is so important because I also feel like now we have social media because uh, as you're talking, you know, all of us are conditioned to start feeling this way when we were younger. And then you mm -hmm. grow up with these mindsets. We did not even have social media then. And now we do. And it adds this extra layer of, well, she has this and she's doing this. And so I'm falling behind here and I'm not seeing the struggles of everyone else. I'm only seeing that they're being really successful in what they're doing. And so now I feel really crappy about myself. And I feel like that also creates this disconnect that, that makes us feel even more alone, even though we're more connected online mm -hmm. than ever before. We're not connected in an interpersonal level that allows us to build self-esteem and trust and confidence and the support systems that we actually need. Mm -hmm. So how do we do that? Like for, for the women who are listening right now, who, who are like, I need support, especially all of us have been living in this pandemic for, you know, over a year and a half now. And, yeah. and lonely people feel lonely. People have been isolated what is the first thing that someone can start to focus on to start building a supportive community? Well, I'm going to give some unpopular advice, but I stand by it fiercely. A lot of times when we talk about 
the context of building relationships and we add the layer of social media. One of the most common bits of advice that's given is take a break from your phone, put down your phone, get off social media, go live in quote, the real world. I've heard it and I actually used to believe it. I used to think this was the answer. And I talk about this in depth and built a blog, but my lens on this has changed dramatically because I had a realization, the pandemic was part of this, that these feelings we have, this comparison we experience, this jealousy that we're feeling, friends, it doesn't go away when we put down our phones. And more importantly than that, these devices, this digital life that for a lot of us, we didn't, there was a season for some of us listening to this. We remember life before social media. We remember the sound of the dial-up, the, you know, running home from school. Yeah. To get on AOL, (laughs) AOL, AIM each other. Yes. We remember that. Not everyone does. Some of y'all are young listening to this. You're like, what did she just, I don't even know. This is elder millennial (laughs) giving me advice. We remember that. And so my point being that we've now moved, we we've now moved into a space where whether we want to accept it or not, The truth is, and this is why it's unpopular, I'm going to give it to you. The truth is that we will continue to live not in a world where there is digital on one side and physical on the other, but in a world in which these two realms are merging, that they intersect and they overlap. And we can choose either to say, you know, social media is the problem and I'm going to put my blame there and I'm going to move forward, which by the way, friends, I'm not saying it's not part of the problem. It is. We'll get to that in a second. Or we can choose to say, it's not going anywhere. And so, although I'm going to take my mental health breaks when I need to take my mental health breaks, I'm going to step away when I need to step away. I'm not going to determine that that is the solution because it's not. It might heal our hearts for a moment. It might refresh us when we need it, which is great. But the reality is we're picking up our phones when that break ends. We're coming back to these devices when that when that you know, sabbatical is over. And so what we must do, and this is why it's unpopular, what we must do is take real advice that enables us to move forward in how we use these platforms because they're not going away. The digital is not going to disappear. And frankly, it also presents an incredible opportunity. We now have the ability for the first time to connect with people despite geographical boundaries, to stay connected with folks that we never would have otherwise met. I, you know, I think about some of the struggles I've been through and friends, some of the struggles you have gone through in your life. There was a time before digital connection where you might've been the only person that you knew ever going through that situation. But because of the internet, because of social media, we now have this ability, should we choose to use it to find support in every struggle of our life, no matter how unique, no matter how rare the occurrence, there is someone, a keyboard away who can empathize and listen and be there for you. So here is my advice, boiling it down. Here's the bottom line. We need to stop consuming and we need to start connecting. We need to stop being passive observers of other people's lives. And we need to start being active participants in our own. That means when we open these apps, are we just scrolling endlessly without intention? Or are we picking them up with picking them up with purpose and striving to connect with the human beings on the other side? Are we just watching one another from a distance? Or are we loving one another up close? Are we leaning in? Are we deepening the conversation? So here's the challenge. Here's the tactical. The next time you pick up your phone, We're going to shift our behaviors. It starts with our thoughts. It'll move to how we act. But starting with the question today, which is, who do you want to be connecting with? Who are a list of people that you intentionally want to deepen these relationships with? Now, you don't need a huge list. You can give me one name. 
that's fine. One name is a great place to start. For some of you, you know, we've been through quite a bit, friends, in the last 18 months, 19 months, 20 months. We have been through a lot. So the relationships you might have needed two years ago might look different than the list you're going to give me today. I want to express that that is okay. I want to give you permission and validation to know that as you grow and evolve, the relationships that are going to surround you are naturally going to grow and evolve as well, that that is okay. So when you make this list, I want you to think about people that you really want to connect with, deepen the relationship with, perhaps reconnect with, or if you don't have a name to put down, if you are in the depths of loneliness, if you can't give me one person that you want to connect with, I'm also going to tell you that's okay. And what I want you to do instead is to write down the characteristics of what you're looking for. What is it that you're seeking? Because even if you don't have a name, by the way, you're not the only one listening to this that doesn't have a name to write down. I know that. Um, 10% of women don't have a single close friend. That is a recent statistic from the survey on American life. So the one in 10 of you might not have a name that you're writing down. And I want to just affirm that is okay. You are not alone, but part of this work is going to get you into a different mindset and into a different place where a couple months from now, you might have three names that you're writing down. So we're going to start with that. Start with our intention, three names, one name, five names. It's up to you and, and what you're looking for, but write down people you want to connect with. And then we're going to start shifting our behaviors. So when we open these apps before you scroll, before you consume content, you're going to go to that name or those names. You're going to connect with them. That might mean cheering them on. That might mean sending them a DM, checking in. If you have that cell number instead, don't even open the app. Start your day when you're ready, instead of jumping on the platform, to digitally connect with someone in any way that works best for you. Reach out to them, spark that point of connection, spark up a conversation, or continue one if you've had one going before you consume. Because here's the deal. When we consume and only consume, we begin to shift how we are navigating these platforms in a psychological way. And I talk about being a neuroscience nerd. There's a study, a reference in the book where basically they looked at the mental health outcomes of people using social media. And they found that although most studies just talk about the negative and they'll tell you, you know, negative impact with time spent, there were researchers several years ago that instead looked at how people were using the platforms, not just the amount of time they're spending on them. And they found a really distinct difference in, in how people felt after spending time on social media. Those that just consumed had all of the negative outcomes that you often hear about associated with social media, negative mental health, the way they feel about themselves and others, increased loneliness, increased isolation, feelings of alienation, you name it. They felt it when they consumed content. Those who instead connected, who engaged with others, who were actively participating, not just passively consuming, had the complete opposite feeling after spending time on social. So when you make this list or you think about the people you want to connect with or you start to notice, oh, I have been scrolling for 30 minutes and all I've been doing is double tapping and consuming, double tapping and consuming to start to shift those behaviors and say, how do I get out of the surface level and into the deep end with people? And I think that comes back to connection. I think that comes back to how you're navigating the conversations, where they're happening. I always say like, it's great to leave a public comment encouraging someone. Um, I, I'm a big fan of it, but there is still a difference when you get into the DMs and you're sending that voice memo or you're sending you know, a really heartfelt reply, or you're swiping up on a story to bring it deeper, to continue that point of connection. If you see someone sharing about a book that you've read that you love, don't just like swipe past and continue on. That's your opportunity to engage. If you see someone sharing about their dogs and you're a dog person, there is an opportunity to engage. It doesn't have to be the 
deepest of our souls bared. It can be, I love the color yellow and you love the color yellow. I have a dog and you have a dog. I also rely on dry shampoo to uh, get up in the morning and function, right? Like, or my, my coffee addiction is also thriving right now. And I see that you're, you're sharing your, how you make your, uh, your coffee in the morning. And I really would love to chat more about that. It can be simple, but I do think that sometimes, and this is the last thing I'll say to this, we forget the art of, of making friends. We've lost sight of it because we've com complicated it with so many different worries and insecurities and fears that we've picked up over these years of our life. If you watch three-year-olds make friends, it is the most beautiful thing in the entire world. My son is very, very much speech delayed. So his language capacity is very limited. He's two and a half. And yet that child, doesn't even need words to make friends. He runs up holding a piece of chalk and he says, me chalk, you? And it's like their best buds. Now he has a friend at the, at the park, they're playing chalk together. And I say that story because I know you can't run up to someone on Instagram and say, here's my chalk, do you wanna play with it? But what I am saying is that we don't need to complicate it. And sometimes we do because we've dealt with rejection, because we've experienced trauma in relationship. We go back to a place of trying to guard our hearts where connection has to be forged in that openness and that vulnerability. And so we can let go and we can start simply. Like I said, you love dogs, I love dogs. You like coffee, I like coffee. You don't like coffee, I also don't like coffee. Again, can be like, we share a dislike of whatever, we share a like of whatever, simple and sweet. And think about the toddlers that can bond over the simplest of things. Bring it, bring it back, bring it back. Yeah, we, we complicate things so much. Some of my very best friends the past eight years are women that I've met literally through Instagram. And we've built amazing relationships that are now lifelong friendships because we found commonalities and support. And I know that Instagram, that social media can be this this connection tool for us. And I love what you said of not just consuming. There's something that I always say, which is, and it's a rule that I have every morning, which is that I create before I consume, because then I'm able yeah. to, to give and take and, and live in this space where it's life giving instead of me just having information and stuff dumped on me all day. But that goes right along with the create before you consume, creating those meaningful interactions, those meaningful relationships, putting effort there. So, and I, I kind of want to end on this because I think this next part is really important. How do we then take either take those relationships offline so that we can have in-person face-to-face interactions and, or how do we meet other people who we might not be connecting with online, how do we build ourselves this community that can be in person as well? I love that question. And look, it goes back to a very simple formula that I call going back to one. So you start with one point of connection, one conversation, one step at a time. So we talked about the points of connection. You know, they can be simple and they can grow from there, but ultimately you do take it one step at a time. It, uh, the biggest mistake I see folks making in trying to bring offline relationships into the online world is the pressure they put on themselves for it to either be a huge quantity of people, like the desire to have a huge group of friends and suddenly feel forced and pressured to be overdoing it and, and connecting with more people than they have the emotional capacity for in a given season, 
or the pressure to immediately have that best friend. Because we know that it takes time. We know that it takes time to foster those relationships, but also, you know, not everyone is going to be that relationship that you need in that season. And you might not be the relationship they need in that season. And so it is about taking those baby steps. It is about starting with the, hey, do you want to grab coffee? Hey, there is this event that I want to go to where maybe there are more people that you could meet. Would you want to come with me? Let's go early or let's meet up beforehand. We'll hang out and then we'll go. I, I say that just, it sounds so simple. It sounds like the most simple of advice, but every time I talk to folks that are like, Nat, I don't have any friends or you know, I have a really hard time building deep relationships. I always just ask them the question of like, when's the last time you asked somebody to join you? When's the last time you invited, you created the opportunity, you asked? Because oftentimes we wait to be asked. We wait to be pursued. We wait for the permission to make friends. We wait for the event that someone else is hosting in order for these relationships to, to start or to flourish. But I found that like, it's not about the quantity of friends that you have. It's not about even the amount of times that you spend together. It's about the intention of, of taking that step and being sometimes the initiator, even when it's uncomfortable. And even if you're the introvert, and even if every bit of your spidey senses is saying, oh, no, 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 this is going to be awkward. I can't just like ask someone on a, a friend date. Like what, what if we have nothing to talk about? Just taking the step putting yourself out there and giving it a shot because you're right. Maybe that friend isn't the friend. Maybe that first time you ask somebody for coffee, they they're not interested or maybe they're busy. Maybe it's not the right season for them, but not allowing a single roadblock to stop you from then asking somebody else or yeah. continuing to pursue and, and not waiting. Cause we all, we either wait or we need it to be perfect or we need it to be a ton of people or, you know, and I think sometimes it's really simple. I, one of my best friends, um, Jess, her and I connected, this is, this is like, we talk about these weird, how we meet people, her and I connected. She sent me an Instagram DM and she said, Hey, you love small business. My husband just started a food truck. And I am the wife that is hyping him up. So forgive me, but I think you'd love his food truck. Like, I think you need to go check out my husband's food truck and then just tell me if you like it because you love supporting small business. It was like the most random of DMs. And I just admired her gusto. And there was something about it where I was like, I love people that fight for people in their life like that. Like I want, like, that's how my hubby is for me. Like Q is like, he told more people about this book than I did. Okay. So when I see that in other people, I like, love it. So of course we go to the food truck, we try the amazing food. We fall in love. I sent her a DM back and I said, okay, best suggestion that I've heard this month was to go to your husband's food truck. I am in love, you know, like whatever. And we just kept chatting every weekend. We'd go to the food truck and I would share with her what we picked up, what we loved. And then one, just one day at random, she says, well, you know, would you, would you ever want to just meet up? Like you would like, what if we just met up and, and this relationship got me through the last year, her and I have been through so much together and it started as a DM. It started as a random DM about not even her and I being connected, but her just trying to be a value to her husband and connect me to something local that I might be interested in. And so I say that just to say, you know, we continued and fostered the online for a while. And then at some point, you know, it kind of, and we all have this relationship where we have online friends that are real friends. They become real friends. One of us, not even me in this case, she had the courage to ask, can we move this offline? Like, are we at that point? Are we at that point in the, we joked a lot that it was about like dating. 
And I think sometimes yes. it's a little bit like dating. Like, are we at the point where we can grab the coffee together? Yes. Okay, great. We both agree. Great. Then when we're talking, like kind of, you know, judging, like, are we at the point where I can maybe share a deeper conversation? Yes. Okay, great. And you just take those baby steps. As I said, it's one on one on one. So that one point of connection, one conversation at a time. Start, you can start it online and then just work your way to, until you're ready to, to take it off. And y'all, this, it, it sounds like such simple advice, but I can tell you if you're listening to this and you're feeling lonely, like these are actual steps that you should take, that you can take. And it's not about, you know, Hey, having a goal of, I want to have five close friends at the end of the year. It's not like that. It's just finding one person sometimes for me, that's been just, but one person who you're like, she's my 3am friend. Like if life is hitting me at 3am and I need to talk to a girlfriend about it. I didn't have that a year and a half ago in the way that I have it today. And that's just through nurturing one relationship. And so whenever I teach on building, building community or building relationships, that's what I say. I'm like, it's one person at a time. And sometimes one is the difference between lonely and completely deeply fulfilled in relationships with others. Oh my gosh. It's so good. Thank you. And I feel like something I was thinking about too, when you were talking about how often we wait, we're, we feel like we're not hanging out with people, but we're waiting to be invited and then we're not invited. And so then we just are more lonely because we're not going anywhere. I feel like the waiting kind of circles back to what we were talking about in the beginning of wanting and needing that validation that someone wants to be our friend or someone thinks we're cool enough to ask us to go out or, and what we're talking about, what, what I'm hearing from you and what's been so valuable is that we, you already have that validation. You don't have anything to prove. There's, there's nothing to prove here. And when we can strip that away, then it brings this aspect of community and collaboration without needing it to be a competition. And so when you can foster the courage to be the person that builds the table, even if there's one person at it, then it creates these beautiful relationships. Natalie, you're, you're the, you're the greatest. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing with us today. You guys, if you don't follow Natalie, I'm going to have her tell you where you can find her, where you can go buy her book, but she has so much wisdom. I mean, what we've been talking for 40 minutes and look at everything that she's already exploded our brains with, but she talks about things from, from building community to small business to um, infertility to IVF to she's about to be a, a, a new mom again, which is so exciting. Like her community is so supportive. So Natalie, where can everyone come and find you online and where can they come get your new book built to belong? Yes. Uh, so you can buy the, the book Built to Belong wherever books are sold. So you can go and search um, at your favorite book retailer, Built to Belong, or go to nataliefrank.com slash book. And then I am on the internet. That's what I always say. So if you want to find me on whatever platform you use, I spend most of my time on Instagram, um, just at Natalie Frank. And my last name has a fun little E at the end. So you'll you'll find me there. And always, always what I always say is jump into the DMs, shoot me a DM, let me know that you heard the podcast. Um, and let's chat. Let's actually chat. Let's be internet friends. Um, you're always welcome to hit the follow button, but I would love to get to know you. And so um, feel free to find me on the internet at Natalie Frank. Ashley, thank you so much for having me. This was such a fun conversation. It was so fun. Thank you, Natalie. And uh, you guys, we'll see you next week. 
Thank you for joining me on today's episode of the I Am Podcast. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. I love hearing from you online. So if there's something that really resonated with you, come and let me know. Share a screenshot of this podcast and tag me on Instagram at Ashley K. Lemieux so I can see what's impacting you the most. It might even help your friends. And remember, every time you ask yourself, am I really strong enough to do this? The answer is, I am. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.